sobriety, Lord, alcoholic. You know, I got sober in Minneapolis, and we always gave our first and last names. Uh, that's why I told Scott, I said, don't introduce me as Patty L. I don't even know who she is. So, you know, and with that 93, yes, I have 90 of that. No, no not really, not really. Anyway, well, welcome to the, uh, our new friends, and happy birthday. Is it Heather? I don't know where she is, but happy birthday. Anyway. Oh, there she is. I see her back there. Um, I only have 40 minutes, which sounds like a lot to most people, but I got a lot of years. Um, I'll tell you right now, I have a sponsor. I have a home group. Actually, I have a couple home groups. And I have a sobriety date of January 1st of 1981. And that's been one hell of a New Year's Eve, but I don't even remember it. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I'll get started on what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I, uh, I grew up uh, in a family of four girls. I'm number two of four. I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, oh, did someone, someone else from Cincinnati? Oh, wow, Buckeye. Okay, great. Um, and um, and uh, my dad was a very staunch Irish Catholic. Down. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I'm short. Um, and um, my mother, um, well, my dad wouldn't marry my mother unless she converted to Catholicism. And my mother's Jewish. I got guilt on both sides. <laughs> oh, my God. Middle name is guilt. Um, I did not grow up in an alcoholic family at all. Uh, no one had alcohol, drugs, or anything at all. Uh, and I got it all. Um, so I started drinking very early. I had a really happy childhood uh, until I was three. And, <laughs> and then things started going downhill. My dad contracted polio um, when I was three, and he was in the iron lung, he, and he ended up uh, you know, at the house, quarantined for three months, June, July, and August. Uh, my sister was five, I was three, I have a sister who was one, and my mother was six months pregnant, and the house was quarantined, and no one could come in or out. My grandmother uh, stayed with us just to help my mother, and um, you know, it was really difficult because I wanted so badly to be right next to my dad, be with him all the time, but he had to stay separated from us, and it was in a back bedroom, and there was a tension gate that separated us, and I just cried, wanting to go sit on the bed with him, but I couldn't, I didn't understand. So I sat on the floor, hanging onto that tension gate for three months, every single day. That's what my mother told me. And uh, I do remember that feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, my parents don't even love me. My dad doesn't love me. But it was for my own good. Well, after that uh, three months, the quarantine was uh, lifted and, you know, I didn't want to go out. I just didn't. I wanted to stay in the house because my dad, you know, still had to stay home. And uh, it, took, uh, it took quite a long time for me to even go outside uh, and... I finally was able to do it. It took a couple of years, really, for me to uh, really start acting whatever normal is. I don't know what that is. Uh, but I remember uh, when I was five years old, 
uh, I was riding my bike, and we lived in a cul-de-sac, and so I could just go that far. I wasn't allowed to cross the street, although I tried to run away from home once, and uh, I only got to the corner, and I thought, well, I can't run away. I'm not allowed to cross the street. <laughs> so I didn't get too far. But um, anyway, uh, one night, or one, it was an afternoon, the guy across the street said, oh, Patty, come on over. I wanted to show you something. And so, of course, I'm five. You know, why would I think something weird is going to happen? And he took me back in his garage, closed the garage door. Um, he molested me that day. Now, I did not tell anyone. Uh, so now I'm, you know, first of all, I'm feeling abandoned. I'm not feeling loved. I'm feeling different. Now I'm starting to keep secrets. And uh, there's going to be a progression for this whole thing. And um, I never told my mother because I thought, well, I must have done something. Um, and it changed me completely. Uh, I started school, but um, you know, I was isolating there as well. I was having trouble making friends. And uh, I was not a happy child at all. Um, but somehow I managed to get through all that, uh, at least to the point where I didn't have to deal with this neighbor across the street. We moved when I was eight. We moved into a bigger house, and my parents started having monthly parties. And there were probably 10, 12 people at these parties. And I'm still trying to get the approval and the love from my dad. So I would go around and just gather everyone's drink. Uh, and there would always be that little bit at the bottom. And there was a cherry usually in the bottom. And instead of sticking my fingers in to get that cherry, I'd just you know, do that little chug. When you're eight and there's 10 to 12 people having four or five drinks and you're giving that last chug, you can get a pretty good buzz. Uh, you know, from the time I had been molested, I started having migraines. I had an ulcer. Uh, I had nightmare. I had a nervous twitch. Uh, there were all these things going on, and no one could figure out what was going on because I'm not opening my mouth. Uh, but those nights we had parties, no headaches no nightmares, no twitching, no stomach problems. I made a connection pretty quickly. It's like, oh, I do this, I feel better. I couldn't wait for the next monthly party. So I'm, you know, now I'm starting to you know, think way ahead. How do I plan this? What do I do? And I did that month after month. Now I'll tell you, I was a brownie at the time. My mother was the troop leader, and at the end of the year, we always had the you know, little brownie party at our house, punch, and of course, Girl Scout cookies. Um, and uh, after uh, having those swigs for like nine months, because we started, I started in September when the school started, uh, and by June when we had that party, I tasted that punch. It was really bland. <laughs> So you already know what I did, yeah. So I spiked the punch, got all the little brownies sick, and I got kicked out of brownies. And, uh, that was the first of many places that I was kicked out of over the years. You'll hear more about other places I've been kicked out of. Um, and uh, now all the little girls aren't allowed to play with me. Um, it's really tough to find lower companions when you're only eight. And, but I managed to do that, and uh, the, the ones that were always getting in trouble. I think I spent more time in the principal's office 
uh, it was in parochial schools, of course, because my dad being Catholic. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was having trouble. My grades were going down. I was ending up in the principal's office way too often. Uh, they were getting called up for parent-teacher conferences. And, I'm, you know, I'm just starting to really start going downhill, as far downhill as you can get at age eight. Um, and I continued doing that. No one, I couldn't spend the night at anyone's house because as soon as everyone went to sleep, I'd go into their liquor cabinet and start drinking. Uh, now, in Cincinnati, you have basements because of tornadoes. And so we had a really nice finished basement. Uh, we had a bar down there. And so because I need that alcohol more than once a month, uh, I'd just go down and start you know, drinking out of the bottle. But my dad's very... Uh, OCD and anal retentive, and I am still myself. Um, and so he always knew how much liquor was in any bottle. So I had to start diluting. You know? And so uh, he never said anything, but that's how I, you know, just kept drinking. So you know, we uh, we kind of keep going on this. And uh, now I'll tell you, I was always trying to compare myself to my older sister. She literally. As a genius IQ, I'm nowhere close to that, and that's fine. Uh, but uh, in Cincinnati, there was a private girls' academy that gave out one scholarship every year to one person in the tri-state area, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. My sister got that scholarship. So now she's in a private academy. She's um, you know, socializing with all the rich. I don't know how famous they were, but they were rich and very uppity. And those were the guys that she was dating. Well, she set me up on a date with one of her friends. Uh, and I was only 15. And there was going to be this open house at this guy's house who lived on the rich side of town. And uh, he was 15. So he came and picked me up in a cab. And uh, as soon as I went, what 15-year-old picks up the date in a cab? I mean, you know, he did. Yeah. I got in the cab, and there was a, a bottle of liquor on the floor as soon as I got in, and I thought, oh, my God, I have arrived. This is going to be wonderful, a night I won't forget. And it was a night I wouldn't forget ever. Uh, I got to his house, and there was no one there. And he said, well, I had to come get you early so that I could be back before anyone got here. So about 10 minutes later, uh, there were two people that came. There were two guys, and that was the open house. That was the party, and I was gang raped that night. It was a night I wouldn't forget. Um, now, they said to the cab driver, just stay. You know, we won't be long. And they put me back in the cab and sent me home. Um, and I can tell you, for those of you, especially newcomers, if you've not really opened the book, uh, you know, as my husband always says, there's no pictures, graphs, or diagrams. So, you know, and it's really kind of on cheap paper anyway. But uh, there's no chapter to the uh, rape victim, molestation victim, incest victim. You know, the, the book doesn't address that. Uh, so I'm not telling anyone. Now, I didn't tell any my mother. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell anyone that I had been raped that night. So I'm continuing to keep secrets. And it's, it's just killing me, but I don't know it. So all I do is drink more. Now at 15, I, uh, you know, it is 
a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, but you know, I was now engaging in outside issues, and that's about as far as I'll go with outside issues. Uh, so, you know, I'm having trouble in school again. Uh, things aren't going well. I'm drinking and doing other things, and uh, my dad, I said, was this very staunch Catholic. He wouldn't even, I mean, he'd never cuss. He'd say something like, well, that son of a so-and-so, and of course, I'm obnoxious, and I'd say, you mean son of a bitch? I probably shouldn't be, uh, is this being recorded? Oh, <laughs> I probably should have asked that first. Uh, yikes. Um, but, um, you know, uh, he, uh, you know, we didn't cuss, we didn't do any of that. Well, we didn't talk. We didn't discuss anything, uh, especially you don't talk about your feelings. Uh, and everyone just kind of led their own life. But when I was 17, I went out with another one of my sister's friends. You know, there should be a pattern here. And uh, I ended up getting pregnant at 17. Uh, that was devastating for me. Uh, it was really devastating when my parents found out. When my dad found out, it triggered a massive heart attack, and we all ended up in ICU that night. Now, he had heart problems all along. He had his first heart attack when he was 30. He literally had an annual heart attack until he dropped dead of a massive one when he was 55. He had three massive ones. That massive one that I triggered did not kill him. But we were my three sisters and my mother and I were in ICU, and they all said, if he dies, you killed him. And it's like, okay, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug, drug addict, I'm 17, I'm pregnant, and now I've killed my dad? And I, he didn't die then, but I really upped the ante. Uh, now, he, what he did tell me is that you are not coming home with that baby, and if you think you, you are, just keep walking, because you will not step foot in this house. So I gave that baby up for adoption uh, when I was 17. Well... He was, I was 18 when uh, he was born. It was a little boy. And uh, I had already been accepted into college. And it's like, I, I'm not going to ruin this kid's life. I was kind of secondary. I knew I couldn't take care of him, and it wouldn't be fair to him. So I did give him up. I started college, and things went okay for a while. Um, and um, I ended up uh, being a guy on a blind date um, when I was... Uh, I was in college, and he was from Chicago, and he was, unbeknownst to me, he was on his way, coming through Cincinnati, on his way to California to get married. He just failed to tell me that. You know? So I'm on this blind date uh, with this guy. He's from the big city. Uh, he drank like I could. His name was Pat, and I thought Pat and Patty sounded cute, so we got married. <laughs> he never made it to California. You know, so, um, you know, we, uh, we got married, but our wedding was kind of interesting. Oh, actually, let me backtrack. Before we got married, before I met him, back in uh, 1969, I'm still in Cincinnati, I did have two friends, and we decided, we heard about this event going on, and we got my little VW Bug. That was my first car, and I still drive a VW Bug. It's not that one, though. Um, and we uh, decided to uh, drive to Bethel, New York, and I actually went to the, the actual Woodstock, the first one, the only one that really counts, as far as I'm concerned. 
Now, I don't remember a whole lot about Woodstock. They, whoever they is, the infamous they that knows everything, uh, but we don't know who they are, uh, they say, if you remember Woodstock, you really weren't there. So I remember snippets of Woodstock. Uh, I do remember Janis Joplin. I do remember Jefferson Airplane. And there was uh, someone that was not on the docket that showed up uh, on the last day, which was so cool. And that was Jimi Hendrix. So it's like, yes, I got to see him. I have these people are dead now. And they all, I think, died about 27 or whatever it is. I was one of the mud people. And for those of you that don't know what the mud people are, because it was torrential downpours, and I had to save one pair of jeans and a shirt on the way home. So you literally only wore mud, literally. And when it rained, then all the mud's gone, and then you have to jump back into a mud puddle. But, uh, you know, it was a three-day event, and we were still there after five days because we didn't know it had ended. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. There were probably still 10,000 people when there's over 400,000 to begin with, you know. But uh, yeah, that was kind of a highlight. My kids really think that's uh, the best thing about mom, actually. Mm. But okay, jumping forward, you know, I ended up getting married, and uh, it was a Catholic wedding, of course. The nuns are there, the priests are there, and you had bands then, not like now, but they, you know, had a big band and all that. Now I cannot sing worth a darn but I love to sing, and I know all the words. So uh, I decide it would be uh, you know, a, a bonus if I got up on stage at my wedding and start singing. Now, the songs I was singing, I remember the religious people all over here, you know, um, and I was singing Irish drinking songs, and you can only imagine the lyrics at that point. Now, uh, I will tell you, my dad had passed away by then. He had had that third heart attack by then. And even then, uh, up until probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, my sisters have still made comments that if you hadn't caused that heart attack, dad would still be alive. Well, he wouldn't have been anyway. You know, his lifestyle and, you know, he was a three-pack-a-day smoker. Uh, you know, he just he wouldn't have been. But um, uh, at that point, you know, my mother... Who's a teeny? He, she was a teeny little thing. She's passed away too. She was four feet eleven and weighed maybe ninety pounds, dripping wet. She gets up to, on the stage and she yanks me off the stage. She grabs me by the shoulders and she says, "Patricia, it's time for you to leave." And I thought, "Leave? It's my wedding." I know. Well, Patricia left. Yeah, I had to. So uh, you know, I'm, I get kicked out of people's homes, out of even dive bars. Uh, you know, any kind of parties, and I've been kicked out of weddings before, but my own? I mean, you know, there's something wrong there. So, um, so anyway, that, you know, that marriage legally lasted 17 years, but we weren't together all that time. Well, I did end up, uh, I got pregnant a few years after we got married, and I ended up having identical twin boys, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is God's way of giving back the one I so selflessly gave up for adoption. Uh, and I can tell you those boys are 41 now, and I still goof them up. They are so identical. Oh, my God. But um, anyway, I, I had them. And when I went into labor, because I went into labor two months early and delivered them 
two months early. They were trying to stop the labor, but back then, the only way they knew how to do that was to give me an alcohol IV. And they said, we're really sorry, you know, you're going to end up getting drunk. And I remember putting my hand up to my forehead, and I said, well, doctor, whatever is best for the babies. That was the worst hangover I have ever had. It lasted like five days. Oh, my God. Um, but anyway, and then you know, I ended up having another one two years later. So you know, I, I had these three boys. And um, that husband um, uh, left when uh, they were one and three uh, because I was 31 and I was too old. And he was only 32. I mean, come on. And he got on the back of Harley of a 22-year-old blonde, and you know that was pretty much the end of it. But uh, you know, before he left, one of the reasons he left, and I'll tell you about this, I I got sober. But I really had problems before I decided I was going to get sober, and I really wasn't the one that kind of decided initially. People kept telling me, Patty, you drink too much. And I said, you don't drink enough. Uh, you know, How many have you had? Now, I don't know about you, but tequila was my favorite. And that is a killer. Uh, and I always liked the big bottles with the worm in the bottom. And my goal was always to drink as much as I could, as fast as I could, for as long as I could. And I'm a blackout drinker. So I, you know, and there's kind of a gift to that a little bit, I think, because I don't, then I don't have to be responsible. But uh, I always wanted to get to that worm. And by the time you get to the worm, oh, God, you don't care about it at all. You know, you're licking the inside of the bottle by then. But, you know, uh, but people would say, you drink too much. Yeah. So those margarita glasses are really tiny. Eh, they're just these little things, you know. And uh, there's just not much there. And, you know, they'd say, how many have you had? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I lost track at 11 or something. I, you know. And so what I did, because we are creative problem-solving people. We are. So I decided I'd just get my own margarita glass. And it looked more like a fishbowl on a pedestal. <laughs> it was so big. It held two pitchers of margaritas. And people would say, how many have you had? And I said, this is my first. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, um, you know, I, that was my thinking, which wasn't real good. But, hey, this was, you know, this was how I was, you know, problem solving. They quit asking. It's like, just leave her alone. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I married an alcoholic, and we were pretty much raging alcoholics. So my drinking didn't look so bad compared to Pat's. Uh, and he had other issues, too. Uh, and, I mean, he left, but I filed for divorce some years later because, you know, he liked to drink. He liked to gamble. He liked anything that could wear a skirt. So we had a lot of those kind of issues. And I finally thought, you know, fine, get on the back of the 22-year-old's Harley and go away. And uh, so now I'm on my own. Um, I, my nearest relative is 1,200 miles away. Uh, I end up on welfare and food stamps and all that. But uh, my best friend, we lived in Minneapolis at this time. My best friend, uh, who I drank with all the time, we just had a lot of fun. And uh, 
she announces one day she says you know i don't think drinking is in my best interest and i've joined alcoholics anonymous and i thought i've just lost my only real friend and she she did just that and she says you really should you know come to meetings with me well she kind of tricked me into this because she said it was quarter to seven on a monday night and she says i have to go somewhere and i hurt my leg will you take me okay fine so and the following monday at quarter to seven i heard this can you take me and it went three weeks i'm kind of slow it took me three weeks to realize and then she says i i need help taking stuff in because i just kind of drop her off and sit in the parking lot she said i need help getting things in i said okay well getting things in is into a meeting of alcoholics anonymous so uh, and then she says i'm just going to need some help getting things out so you're going to have to stay so i'd say and i hated it i hated all of you i don't want any part of you you know don't come up and ask me who i am you know don't uh ask me for a number don't invite me for coffee it's like just leave me alone i want to be invisible and i did that for a while and then uh diane that that's the gal the best friend who ended up inflicting herself on me as a sponsor i never asked for this at all but uh you know she kept trying and um but let me go back uh my then husband and i you know we drank a lot we were obnoxious when we drank actually we were obnoxious when we were sober or not drinking um and we always had the parties because that was the only way we could be invited so um and so we had this new year's eve party as we always did uh, at that time i had waist length hair and whoever put me to bed um did not pull my hair up and it was in my eyes and i woke up in the middle of the night and i got all this long hair and i'm so drunk uh i decide i'm just going to do things you know, trim things up a little bit and i cut my hair everything that crowned my face about an inch long it was a bad hair day at that point even rod stewart wouldn't have thought that was a good one and i didn't realize it until the following day and uh i mean i looked like a fuzzy basketball because you know it was just horrible and at that point nothing was ever open on new year's day so i found this little hole in the wall place the following day with every lady that goes out of there has blue hair and goofy curls and and everything and they tried to trim it up as best they could and i had to wear a babushka one of those russian you know scarf things that uh, women wear and i said well i'll i'll drink after my hair grows back well now diane is still putting all this pressure a little bit and uh, aren't you coming just just sit just sit and listen just sit and listen well then she needed me to bring things and she couldn't come so now it this is okay i'll bring it and i'll just have to sit there and wait and take it so now i'm sitting through this whole meeting of all this this crap stuff that people are talking about you guys might be thinking i'm doing the same thing but that's okay um but uh, i started listening a little bit to what people were saying but i still hate all of you and uh then i started going by myself because i didn't have anything else to do and you were so entertaining so i started doing that but i still came in late sit in the back leave early and this uh one time this lady 
this little old lady, and she was little, but she probably wasn't that old because she was considerably younger then than I am now, so I guess she wasn't all that old. But uh, she followed me out, and I didn't realize she was following me, and we did a cat and mouse game in the parking lot, and then she caught me, and then she starts with, honey, and I said, I am not your honey. And uh, she says, honey, I know you should come in late, sit in the back, and leave early. Uh, and I'm starting my litany of good reasons. And she didn't give me a chance. And she says, maybe you're not an alcoholic, and maybe you don't belong here. Well, I don't want to be here anyway. No, I'm not an alcoholic. However, I took umbrage and a lot of offense to that. And so I came back week after week just so I could really put her on the spot and stand up and say, that lady did blah, 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 blah. You know? And she was my Eskimo. I never saw her there. I never saw her after, but I kept coming back because I'm a retaliatory person, and uh, not anymore. Um, and she, uh, she was really, um, you know, letting me know who I was, what I was, how I was, and everything else. So I started coming, I started listening, and I started hearing my story a little bit at a time. And, I, and these people, they were standing up and just, you know, telling things that I would never tell, ever, to anyone. And yet I stand here and tell things that I always swore I'd never tell anyone, uh, because I'm such an open book now. Uh, now, what really turned things around, when my youngest son was six years old, uh, you could go up and have lunch with your kids at school, and my son said, don't come up. I'm bigger than he was at the time. Uh, and I said, I'm coming. And he said, what came out of his mouth next was a dagger in my heart. He says, if you have to come up, Mom, pretend like you don't know me. Well, I went up. School was two blocks up. I went up. And uh, I'm standing there. And we're going through the line, through cafeteria, and uh, uh, eating some, I don't know, undefinable unde unde chicken product of some sort called a school lunch. And uh, uh, the tears started rolling down my cheeks, and I got up, I walked out, walked home, and started sobbing, and I called my sponsor. I said, I'm ready, and that's when I started the steps, and that's when I started listening to the uh, similarities, not the differences, because all I heard was, well, keep coming back, just suit up and show up, and uh, we, uh, and I ended up starting the steps, worked them in order, thoroughly as best I could at the time, and my life started changing little by little. Um, you know, I divorced that guy. I ended up marrying somebody else, and that first marriage legally lasted 17 years. The second one, I learned 90 days. Oh, my God, 90 days. I am on husband number three, but third time's the charm. Uh, a few days ago, we celebrated 24 years, and I've been with him for 29, so yay. And he, he has 55 years of sobriety. So, you know, we have a sober home. Now, I will tell you that, uh, you know, life has happened. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of issues. In 2006, I had a stroke. I lost all speech and language, but I got most of that back. And no one can tell when I screw up, because it could screwed up in my head. Um, in 2008, I had a massive heart attack. Uh, they had to bring out the paddles three times. And they said, you have less than 1% chance of survival after that third time. That's what they told me. Uh, we uh, used to travel around in an RV. And uh, you know, I've been to meetings in every state, because that's what we did when we traveled, because we would be gone for like nine, 10 months out of the year. And meetings are fabulous. You get out of your you know, comfort zone here. 
Um, and, you know, my life really started getting good. I can tell you that uh, three and a half years ago, on February 1st, uh, I was on my way to work, and I got this phone call in front of this person. I didn't know who they were, and they said, you know, was your maiden name Monahan? And I said, yes. Did you live in Cincinnati? Yes. Did you live on Candy Lane? Yes. And I thought, oh, my God, I've got someone from Cincinnati who's stalking me. What is going on here? And he gave me his name. And it didn't mean anything to me. And then he said, I don't know quite how to say this. And there was a long pause. It was that sign I had given up 48 years before that. And he found me. Now, I've lived in like five states, three husbands. It's like, oh, how in the world? But you can find anyone nowadays. And uh, I was on a plane back to Cincinnati the following week. He's married. He has two little girls. And, uh, you know, you just, the miracles, the promises, you know, life happens when you do the work, when you stay in. I stayed in. I was always on the perimeter, on the outskirts of everything, and I got in the middle, and I stayed in the middle. Uh, I never went out, although I wanted to. Um, and, you know, I've got now my four boys. Three of them live out here. Uh, I'm a grandma to four kids, two girls, two boys. and. My life is so good in spite of life happening. And, you know, I'm married to a wonderful man. Uh, I have great relationships with all four of my boys and their wives. And I had no relationship with anyone. I have a good relationship with myself. And uh, I give everyone the right to be who they are, even if I don't agree. Um, but you have the right to do, to do that. You, you're accepted by me no matter what. Uh, and, you know, Tom, my husband, he told me when he met me, he says, I'll show you the world. I thought he was going to give me a subscription to National Geographic. <laughs> now, he has shown me the world. He has shown me the world. I've been all over the world. And, you know, there are just a couple places that were really outstanding when I got to go to India for a month and stand on the steps of the Sisters of Charity where Mother Teresa was. And it was what a humbling experience that is. Um, my husband and I just have a lot of fun. He always said, you know, we could have fun sitting in lawn chairs at the city dump. And we could, you know, my, uh, uh, all of my boys golf. And I golf. My husband doesn't. And if he tries, we don't let him play with us at all. And, uh, it's like, oh, he's got the worst etiquette. Um, but all of us play golf. Now, the three that live out here, we like to play golf. And I live with the old people in Laguna Woods, but I don't consider myself an old person. I just, it's just convenient to live there. You know? uh, and they have four golf courses. And the starters, uh, for those of you that don't play golf, the starter is the person that will announce who's next on the, on the tee. And they fight over who gets to announce when I'm playing golf. Because my three boys' last name is Shepherd. So when they announce it, they say, and next on the tee is Mrs. Lord and her three shepherds. You know? <clears throat> so I think, you know, and having been a, a, a shepherd, now I'm a lord. I've climbed up that biblical ladder. I'm at the top. I'm not getting married anymore. That's it. We're done. But uh, I have just a wonderful life in spite of, you know, life happening. I have, you know, great relationships with my family. I have beautiful women that call me sponsor. Miss Sherry over there is one of them. Yay. 
Um, and uh, you know, I'm in service a lot. I sponsor a lot of women, and I want to give back. I expect nothing back. My joy is in giving, and that's not the way I was. I was a very selfish person before. I don't retaliate. Uh, when I was in high school, I dated a guy that always cheated on me, so I had to retaliate. He drove a little, uh, uh, um, little TR3 sports sports car, and he cheated on me all the time. So I thought I'll show him. When he was went into his apartment with his cheating girlfriend, I went and slashed all his tires. You're all safe. I don't tire slash ever. I just don't do that anymore. So you're all safe. Um, but my life is so good right now. And if this was not my life, I would envy the person that had it. Thank you.